doing tonight? All right, love the excitement. Nothing from the students. Yeah. Everybody got a study sheet? Raise your hand if you do not have a study sheet. Dang, you guys are good. All right. Man, I'll tell you, those songs, like when that, that last song, I really love. I find me, myself, I found myself singing it a lot, um, especially the fact that the, the power of hell has been defeated. I think if we can understand and believe that every single day that we live, it makes these wills really natural to unfold in our lives. You know, as I'm reading those songs and I'm thinking about what Jesus did for us, and I'm thinking that I don't really have to worry about death. I'm thinking about the comfort and hope that comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the fact that he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, all those things that um, a lot of times we just brush over with our actions and our attitudes, me included. And as I've been going through this study and looking at all these wills, it's been tearing me up, just a lot of the, the gaps and deficiencies that I have and how, again, these things should just come very easily to us, especially if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, um, you know, as our Savior. So... If you don't tonight and you're hearing these things for the first time, I pray that you'd open your heart um, and ask somebody, think about these things that are in the Bible. Um, there's a reason why there's people in this world that can walk around with a big smile on their face. Yes, the darkness that's going on can bother us and upset us, but we have a hope. We have a hope that's found in this book that doesn't match anything that this world has to offer. This world doesn't come close to fulfilling that God-shaped void that we all have inside of our hearts. So. Um, if you haven't heard these things before, I pray that you would hear them for the first time tonight and respond. Uh, your very eternity depends on it. Um, so tonight, we're going to be looking at having pure motives. So we've been doing a study on Wednesday nights, for those of you that haven't been here, um, looking at the will of God for our lives. Seven specific wills in the Bible that God has said, this is my will, or it's the will of God that you do these things. And really, the launching pad for this is the testimony, the impact it's had on my life. Um, and just me wanting to know, where do you want me, God? What decisions do you want me to do? Big life decisions. Make, and me wanting to make sure that I'm right in the center of God's will. The safest place you can be is right in the center of God's will, right where he wants you to be. The most dangerous place you can be is given over to the lust of your flesh, given over to the desires of your heart. Because as we look at tonight, your heart, it's deceitfully wicked. It's evil. It wants to please itself. The place I want to be is right where Jesus Christ wants me. A lot of times it can be hard to say no to our will, to say no to the motivations that we have in our heart. But man, when you look back and you can see God working, you can see what he orchestrated and you get to the other side, you get across that Jordan, if you will, and you look back and you see what God did. I'm telling you, there's no better fulfillment. And if you're sitting in here and you've never experienced that, I challenge you by faith to step out and whatever it is that you're not willing to do, you're not willing to give up, do it because you're missing out on some immense blessings some immense inheritance that God has for you right now. You don't have to wait for heaven to experience God. You can experience God right now. Um, so tonight, we're going to look at one that deals with the heart, and that's having pure motives, which is a really cool one. Um, it's one that I debated on going back and forth with doing last because I think it does a good summary of just really your heart and all these issues is really the sum of the whole matter. If your heart's not right, you can do all these things at a surface level, and it won't do a darn thing inside your heart. Um, but next week's is my favorite, so that's how it falls. So we're doing redeeming the time next week. So your key verse or verses um, is Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. It's printed on in your sheet um, or you can turn there. Uh, verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart 
as unto Christ. Now, how do we do that? Verse 6, not with eye service as men's pleasers, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God, there's our phrase, from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any, any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. All right, let's pray one more time. Father, I do thank you for um, just the practicality of your book. God, a lot of times we can be so intimidated by it. I know I was when I was in high school. Um, but God, I, I thank you for sending someone in my path that sat me down and was able to explain these things in a very simple fashion. God, Satan wants us to be uh, very um, afraid of this book, very overwhelmed with it by the complexity that is in it, Lord. But you made it very simple. It's through your son, Jesus Christ, that we have eternal life and that we can continue to have a hope-filled relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that you change hearts, change lives this evening, Father, and that we'd walk away from this message different, not because of anything I said, but because of what you said through your word. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, it's kind of a weird, every message I have like a word that I do a definition on this one. It's like a phrase, heart attitude. Very simply, why you do what you do. The true motivation behind your behavior, words, thoughts, and actions. So literally everything that encompasses you. So think back, and I ask you guys to do this a lot, but think back to today. Start with whatever time you guys got up and think about every action you made and the motivation behind those actions. Some of them are forced. You know, you get up and go to school. Think about what was the first thing you did today? None of that? P. Yeah. Getting up at 2 a.m. doesn't count. I'm talking about when you get up normally. Oh. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Right. But it's age. When we make a lot of decisions, we think a lot of things. We say a lot of things. We behave a, a bunch of different ways. We're not just mindless people walking out in this world. Every decision you make has a motivation behind it. It has a reason. Why are you here tonight? Why'd you go to school today? Why did you choose what you chose for food? Why did you read your Bible? Why didn't you read your Bible? Why did you say that to your friend? Why did you spend time with this person? Why didn't you spend time with this person? Why did you have attitude with this person? Why didn't you? Everything you do has a motivation behind it. What I want to talk about tonight is making sure that you have pure motives. Taking your eyes off yourself and, and making decisions in your life with a bigger purpose in mind. So title, The Importance of a Right Heart Attitude. Is there any way we can open that door? Is it? Were they, okay. I'll sacrifice the sound for feeling like I'm in an oven. It's like 400 degrees. Then again, though, on Sunday, I swear it was like 33 degrees inside that sanctuary. Oh, my goodness. That was horrible. All right, so the title of this message, The Importance of a Right Heart Attitude. All right, so point number one, it's the first and greatest commandment. Flip over to Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 6. You can write next to that, Matthew 20, 22, 37, and 38, um, if you like. That's where Jesus, Matthew 22, 37, and 38. That's where Jesus brings it back up and says, this is the first and great commandment. And he goes on to love thy neighbor as thyself. So Matthew, or Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. Who can explain a little bit of the context with Deuteronomy to me? Why was Deuteronomy written? 
Okay, why was it the second giving? Because they didn't do it right the first time. What what did they not do right? Okay, why? The other sinners. What's the difference between Leviticus and Deuteronomy? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times, what's a phrase that people use to describe Deuteronomy? The law of love. So they were trying to do it out of duty in Leviticus, and God's like, no, 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 no. This needs to be from the heart. And he gives them the law again. He's like, I need you to do this from the heart. And I don't, I'd never really fully understood that until I became a parent of how important it is to do things from the heart, to do things for the right motive. Nothing makes me more sick inside than when I know my kids are obeying me with the wrong heart attitude. It's a hard heart to penetrate. God's like, I want you to do things from the heart. I want you to mean what you do. And of all the people that can see our heart without us, uh, with no ability to hide it, it's God. Look in verse 5 and 6. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine what? Heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Notice the first thing, and God doesn't do things on accident. The first thing he wants us to love him with fully is our heart. Our heart is that thing that the world is trying to use within our flesh to turn us away. It's trying to turn our heart away from God. It's trying to fill it with something else. And it's trying to do it all the way up until you die. And it's, it's all these vanity, empty feelings, empty promises that this world offers. You try something out. You, you, you have a spouse. You get divorced. You try and fill it with something else. You, you try a sport to fulfill yourself. And then it, you graduate high school and you realize, well, that was a waste of time. You have friends that make you feel good. And then you graduate high school and you're like, where the heck are they anymore? You have a girlfriend. You have all these boyfriend, all these things, girls, guys, boys, girls. You have all these things that you try and fulfill yourself with, and they're empty. I mean, even, even my spouse, my spouse is not empty, but she lets me down. She's not that perfect fulfillment for me. There's days where I let her down, but we have a Heavenly Father who never lets us down. We have a Heavenly Father who fills that void and fills our heart. It's a constant battle for your heart in this world, and God's like, I want your heart. I don't want your services. I don't, and we'll look at specific verses talking about sacrifices. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want what you do. I don't care about any of those things. I care about your heart. Your heart's going to generate those things. We'll get to those things later. That's like when people need to get saved. A lot of times we feel like we need to fix them, or they, need, or they feel like they need to fix themselves and get rid of all this sin before they can get saved. We've got to remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He met us right where we were at. He doesn't wait for us to get to a certain spot in our life and say, okay, now we're ready to get saved. God saved a thief on a cross who was dying for, for a crime immediately because of his belief and his faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He can save anybody in any moment. But a lot of times we feel like we need to clean ourselves up. But the importance of a right heart attitude, it's recognizing Jesus Christ, I need you more than anything in this world. Does he fulfill your heart? But a right heart attitude, why you do what you do. Point number two, the heart is where God focuses his attention. Flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Very familiar verses. 
Can I get someone to read verse 7? Let's let everybody flip there. Yeah. Ah, oh, Sam already beat you to it. I'm sorry. Next time. Next week. All right, go ahead, Sam. For the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The heart is where God focuses his attention. What's the context of the story going on here? Who's God? What's God looking for? Emily. Yeah, yeah. Saul's going down quick, and God's like, "I need someone to fill. I need someone to step in and be king of my people." And all these brothers are coming out, big stature, ready to go, looking like they're the tough guys. And God's like, "I don't look on the outward appearance. I look inside the heart." I got news for you. That promise, that trait of God, still applies today. He looks on the heart. I and I often I think in my life back when I and there were times and you know I can still struggle with you know wanting to do things for myself or wanting to do things for God but at the end of the day I'm like if I'm doing things for myself that are for God why the heck am I doing them at all God's not getting pleased they're really making me feel more convicted that I'm not even walking a right life with Jesus Christ and then you know what I realized I'm like you know what I just I want people to think I'm I'm right where I need to be and it came down to my pride and I had to die to that. But the heart is where God focuses his attention. The, God was, the heart was the first thing that God said, that's what I want you to love me with. So this, this whole evening, I want you to think to yourself, what has your heart? What has your heart? If God doesn't have your heart, something else does. Your heart's not just off in thin air right now. What is your fulfillment? But there's things that God does. Point number three, he tries it. It's how we're tested. He tries our heart to see, okay, you say you love me. You say that you're following after me. I'm going to try your heart. Can I get three or four readers? Alana, Jeremiah 17.10, Carson, Psalm 7.9, Dustin, Proverbs 17.3, Rachel, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. The rest of us, 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 28. So he tries it. It's how we are tested. Which again, I think is so good of God. God doesn't want us to be in a state of self-deception. He wants to, he wants to reveal to us, look, you might think that you're doing the right thing, but here's, here's where you're gapping. Here's, he, he doesn't just let us die to ourselves. Now there comes a point where you can sear your conscience. And he's like, you know what, I'm done. Go ahead and read Proverbs 1 and see what that gets you at the end of that chapter. But he's always waiting for you to repent. But he tries our heart. Saw Jeremiah 17 10. I the Lord search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So what are reins? Yeah. And I, I was thinking of that today as I was as, as I was looking through this. And I'm like reins, you know, you think of on a horse. When a horse is submissive to those reins, it goes where those reins tell it to go, right? What happens when a horse is not? you got a stubborn horse. What's it doing? Yeah, it's like biting the bit. It's fighting it. It's trying to resist it. And he's having to go harder. He's trying to whip the horse. He's trying to get that horse under control and get it where it needs to go. He's working that disobedience, that foolishness, out of the horse's heart. And it made me think of... Um, 
in Proverbs, where it talks about foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. A lot of times God has to come in and drive the foolishness out of our heart. And he does that a variety of different ways. With our kids right now, he uses a literal rod, a physical rod, and we have to work it out of them. God chastises whom he loves. Be very sensitive to his chastisement. Be very sensitive to him trying your reins and trying to work that out. He loves you. He doesn't want to see you go down a path that leads to your destruction. We have a God who's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows what's waiting down the decision that you're waiting to make. He knows what option B is. That's why he's really trying to convict you to go to option A. But we have a God who is all about love and all about free will. He tries your reins. He doesn't force your reins. He doesn't get down and drag you by the bit and take you exactly where he wants you to go. He says, come on. Come on. Let your heart go this way. And he's trying to sensitively guide it. And he's putting people in your life to sensitively guide it. And he's convicting your heart to sensitively guide it. Are you fighting that constantly? Because there comes a point where he lets go of those reins. And you're left to yourself. Where's your heart at tonight? Psalm 7, 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But, that is, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. Yep, trieth the hearts and reins. Psalm, or Proverbs 17, 3. The finding pot is for silver, and the furnace is for gold. But the Lord trieth the hearts. I love that picture. So the refining of silver, of gold, it takes what? Heat. Sometimes it can hurt to get all that junk up from, get all that junk out of, of steel, out of gold, out of silver. And it's the same thing with our life. Sometimes it can really hurt to get that junk out of our hearts. I look back on specific times that I know God turned the heat up on in my life. And I wouldn't be here today if he didn't. If by his grace, he didn't take me and he didn't melt my heart and allow all the dross, all the garbage in my life to come out. And he came by, he came, came by. I'm talking like a hillbilly tonight. He came by and scraped all the dross off. He came by and he took all the garbage out of my life. But it was a painful process. The more garbage you got, the more humiliating it's going to be. But I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's worth it. Let God try your heart. But it's a lot better to come to God on your own terms, come to God in a submissive way right now, and deal with them one-on-one. Where's your heart? 1 Thessalonians 2.4. I think that's you, Rachel. That's all right. But as we were allowed God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, but not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Yep. Again, not pleasing men. God trieth our hearts. He puts us in situations to try our hearts. And then First Chronicles 28.9. And now, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. I feel like it's a great summary of everything that we were just talking about. If you're a seeker after truth, God will find you. If you're sitting in here today and you're like, I I don't know who this God is or my relationship with God has suffered. I just don't know what to do. God will find you. But if you're sitting in here today and you're like, yeah, I I I got it under control. My heart's all right. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. When you start comparing yourself, I'm telling you there's going to come a point where you're just you're cast off. God can't use you. God wants willing servants. 
a perfect heart with a willing mind. Let your mind be willing today to give your heart over to God. But he tries our hearts. It's how we're tested. It's how we prove to him, God, I'm for real in this. This isn't just something that I'm doing to impress leaders or impress people around you. God, I really don't care what they think of me. I don't care if they all walk away from me. I'm in this for you. I love when Pastor Tom stands up and says, if everybody left except you, would you still be sitting here? If everybody said, I don't believe in this, God. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of prominent Christian figures. There's people within our church that have chucked it and said, I want nothing to do with this. And it's rocked people's faith and it's caused people to walk away. Because their faith was entrusted in people. Their heart was with people. It was with a personality. Is your heart with a personality? It's great that you're here. It's great that you're part of a church. But if everybody walked away, who's your heart with? Is your heart with Jesus Christ? doesn't matter who's here. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Your motive is Jesus Christ. Your motive is your Heavenly Father. God is going to do things in your life if you make a statement to serve and follow him, to try your heart, to test you, to say, okay, you're my son, you're my daughter, prove it. How else can he prove your love if he doesn't first have your heart? And then point number four, nothing about us is hidden from God, including our heart. Hebrews 4.13, flip over there. And then can I get one reader? Emily, Proverbs 21.2. Boy, if this isn't a sobering verse. Verse 13, Hebrews 4. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight or revealed or shown, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees everything. God knows everything that's going on. He knows the thoughts of your heart. He knows the motive behind every decision that you're making. So I really want to challenge you today. If there's things that you're doing in this youth ministry for God, check your heart. Understand the motive behind what you're doing. Whatever it is in your life, check your heart. You're not fooling God. God sees your heart and he's going to try your heart. You don't want to be in a position where you're claiming over and over, I'm doing this for God, I'm doing this for God, then he tries your heart and then bam, all this garbage comes up that you got to deal with. God will sacrifice his name to filter out people within the church. He's not going to let a wolf be in here. He's not going to let, he's willing to sacrifice his reputation to expose you. Your sin will find you out. I guarantee it. Proverbs 21 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Yep. Every way that a man does, everything that we do is right in our own eyes. Think about that phrase. Everything we do is right in our own eyes. You know how I know that? Because we do it. You do what you think is right in that situation. You might look back and be like, yeah, that was a stupid decision. That was sin. But in that moment, you made a decision that, yeah, that's the best decision to make in this circumstance. But then when you look at that decision, you're like, well, yeah, it seemed best because I, my motivation had nothing to do with God. I was thinking about myself. Everything that we do, every way that we choose, every decision that we make is right in our own eyes or else we wouldn't do it. People do what they think is right in that moment. 
but God pondereth the hearts. He's not so concerned about what you're doing. He's, he's not so concerned about what you're doing. He's concerned about why you're doing it. It's a whole different ballgame with God. That's what is so beautiful about Christianity compared to every other religion out there. Every other religion is surface, surface, surface. It's about what you do, how you look. All these lists of do's and don'ts and money and all, all these things that are all, God doesn't care about any of that. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need uh, whatever we have to offer. He wants your heart. That's what makes this different. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. So the problem, the problem with having a right heart attitude, it's our heart is desperately wicked. Flip over to Jeremiah. You know what? I have it written down for time's sake. I'm just going to read it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart is desperately wicked. And I think of the first mention of heart in Genesis 6-5. Can somebody tell me what's going on in Genesis 6 when we're first introduced to the word heart? What's going on in Genesis 6? Is yeah. that where uh, uh, God's talking to Noah? Absolutely. I was, gonna, I was thinking of making funny and saying absolutely not, but I didn't. But now I did, so now it kind of retracted everything. But I know, yeah. No, Genesis 6-5. I thought that was interesting, though. The first mention of the word heart, it's negative. And God saw, Genesis 6-5, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Our heart, when we're born into this world, we're born in the image of Adam. Our heart is evil. It's desperately wicked. It wants to please itself. It wants to please this flesh. When we get saved, it still wants to please our flesh. It still wants to please this self. It still wants to, it's still desperately wicked. Your heart is the measure. How much of your heart does God have? Our heart is going to be constantly fighting until we die. It's going to be fighting. Our flesh is going to be fighting for it. This world's going to be fighting for it. And our heart's going to want to give into it. Where are you giving your heart? The problem, our heart is desperately wicked. The question, how do I serve the Lord with a right heart attitude? That's what I found myself asking. That's what I found myself asking myself when I was in high school. How do I do this? How do I serve God with a right heart attitude? I mean, there'd be seriously, there'd be evenings I'd be thinking to myself, God, I want to do the right thing with the right attitude, but I'm just struggling with knowing how to do this. I always, when I, growing up, I would struggle a lot with um, trying to establish people's trust. Remember there was a time where, um, like, I lied to my mom when I was, I was really young. We were at, like, our first house. I was younger than second grade. And I remember lying to her, and it devastated me because she looked at me and said, you, I, I've lost all trust for you. And I'm like, good grief, you don't say that to a first grader. But it impacted me. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to gain her trust back. And I was so desperate to gain her trust back, to win her heart back, to show her that she had my heart, that I went and did something stupid. I, I disobeyed. But then before I got caught, I went up to her and I confessed it to prove how honest I was. It was weird. I remember it specifically, though, and, and I still got spanked for it. And, but that, that was my, I had this innate desire to want people to know that they have my heart, to know that they can trust me. And then as I was thinking about that this week, conviction set in because I'm like, man, do I do that with God? Do I try and show God that he has my heart? Do I do things to, I, I, I put a lot of effort in to show my wife that she has my heart. I put a lot of effort in to show my kids that they have my heart. Man, I take God for granted. A lot of times I can wake up and be like, 
and, and, and this is terrible, but I can think, you know, God's all powerful and I can start to depersonalize God. Like it doesn't affect him. You're darn right it affects him. You're darn right he's grieved when we treat him like he's just some object, like he's just some wishbone to get us into heaven. He wants to have a relationship. And I'm like, man, God, why don't I give you that much effort? Why don't I focus on giving you my heart the, the way that I give to this physical world? Who, are you, who do you work at giving your heart to? Trust is a big thing. Now, I remember seeing a movie, uh, Fireproof. Who in here has seen the movie Fireproof? Phenomenal movie if you've never seen it. But I remember when I'm watching the movie, you know, you, when you're watching a movie, you can see both characters. You know what's going on. The one character in the, in the story doesn't know what the other character's doing or why they're doing it. And then it, Kirk Cameron is a husband who struggled with pornography and was just a <laughs> jerk of a husband. And I think it was his dad. Yeah, his dad intersected his life, gave him a 40-day challenge. Long story short, he's doing these things to show his wife, hey, trying to win her heart and show him, look, I'm in this. And she's like, no, no, no. And I'm watching it, and I'm so frustrated because I'm like, look, he's trying, he's trying. And I'm like, again, it goes back to the effort. He's putting all this effort. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to decline the movie. If you're in that situation, I think he, he did the right thing. But he's putting all this effort into working on that relationship with his, with his wife, putting all that effort in to show her, hey, you have my heart. Do we put that effort in with God? Because there's mornings we need to wake up and look and be like, God, you haven't had my heart for a long time. I've been reading your Bible. And in marriage, I've been showing up. I've been going to work. I've been showing up and eating dinner. I've been talking with the family. I've been watching movie and fellowshipping. But there can be, you can be there but not be there and the family doesn't have your heart. You can be with God in prayer, in scriptures, in church, and he doesn't have any ounce of your heart. So that's the question. How do I serve the Lord with a right heart attitude? These are very practical, but I really want you to think about these things. They're very simple. God keeps it very simple. Point number one, be patient and allow him to lead. Psalm 27, 14. Let's look over there. and allow him to lead. Can I get someone to read verse 14? Go ahead, Lydia. What I like about this verse is it's almost like twofold. Wait on the Lord just in general. Wait on him in your life. Just patiently by faith obey him and wait. But there's times that you do that and it can be very hard and very discouraging. When you're waiting on the Lord and you have a deep relationship with him and you're talking to him and you're allowing him to talk to you through his word, he will strengthen your heart like no one else can. God is very easy. When you sit down and who in here is analytical? You like seeing a list of pros and cons. Yeah, that's how I am. If you sit down the pros and cons, very easy to give God your heart. When you sit down and you actually look at what God has done for you, it should be very easy when you think about the things that he's done. And when you have experienced that and you've allowed him to strengthen your heart, it just makes it that much easier the next time. That's what can be so hard in a relationship with God is you've been in a rut for so long, it's so hard to get back up and get that, 
Get that relationship going again. Intimacy with the Lord just builds and builds and builds. How weak has your heart been? Be patient and allow him to lead. Sometimes if you're in here and you're like, you know what, it's been weeks, it's been months, or it's just I'm in a bad spot right now with my heart towards the Lord. And I really don't want, I I don't want to give him my heart, but I know I need to. Just do it by faith and wait and see what he does. By faith, give him your heart and believe this book. Wait on the Lord. Just give him your heart. Give him time. Be patient and allow him to lead. And then point number two, trust in him. Flip over to chapter 28, verse 7. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song will I praise him. That verse is so true. All these verses are true, obviously. But that verse practically is so true. When you trust in the Lord, your heart will rejoice like never before. That's why I'm trying to give you guys motivating thoughts of looking back in your life. And if you had a time where you had to wait on the Lord and you've experienced this rejoicing within your heart, you've experienced him working in your heart. Because if you haven't, you're missing out. You're missing out on what God has for you. Let your heart rejoice in the Lord. Trust in him. Trust the plans that he has for your life. And that's, again, where all these wills tie in together. Dying to yourself. Saying, God, I don't, I don't care what I want. I want what you want. It's a choice. Trust the decisions that he has for you. He has good thoughts for you. He's got great plans. Better plans than you could ever imagine for yourself. I look at where I'm at in my life now. And I'm like, I couldn't write a better story. And I don't mean that as a pride. Like, I mean that as a grateful, down on my knees, thank you, God, for everything that you've done for me. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. I'm like, you couldn't, you couldn't write a better story for your life. Yeah, there's sin. There's, but it's with all that sin intertwined, God was still able to work out, and here we are. I'm telling you, God's got much better plans than you could ever imagine. He doesn't give you the end of the story. Why? Because it's faith, it's trust. Trust in him. Psalm 33, 21 says, For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Some of you, if you're, you're in here and you're not really rejoicing about the Lord, you're not excited, I bet you you're not trusting in him enough with your heart. If you're not excited about God, he's not the one that's disconnected. You're the one who's pulled back the trust cable from him. Say, God, I got this. Proverbs 14, 26 says, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Strong confidence living under that fear of the Lord, living under his control, that good shepherd. There's confidence. You know that the decisions you make of the burdens that God puts on your heart from this book are going to be good. And I notice, I'm not saying easy. I've had some of the hardest times in my life, but the most fulfilling times. And I'll tell you right now, the greatest impact on eternity. I say this every week, but we're going to stand before God someday. Where are your decisions leading you to what that conversation is going to be like? In the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. You know without a doubt the decisions that you're making are affecting eternity. I don't want, yeah, I want to affect this world, but I want to affect this world for eternity's sake. I don't want to get to the world with $2 million in the bank, a beautiful house, a Ferrari, Andy, um, and all these goods. And stand before God and be like, yeah, it was pretty good, wasn't it? And he's like, yeah, look at all those people going to hell that you walked by your entire life. 
Look at all those people that you could have impacted. But you're too focused on self. I want to go, and I love what, what Tim said a couple weeks ago. I want to go to heaven completely exhausted. Have confidence. Have confidence in everything that the Bible says. If you don't have confidence, if you're not strongly believing in these, I bet you you're not living in the fear of the Lord. I bet you you're not allowing him to control you. There's something else motivating you outside of the Lord. In its simplest form, because I've been doing a lot of research on fear of the Lord, fear of God. In its simplest form, fear of the Lord, you fear God more than anything else. He is your motivation. When you're doing something else, you fear or you're motivated by something other than God. There should be nothing in this world that motivates us more than God. And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. There's no place safer to be. And then point number three, you've got to humble yourself. It's really the foundation of this. If you're not willing to humble yourself, don't even bother. Humble yourself. Flip over to Psalm 34. Beautiful verse. Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is nigh or near unto them that are of a broken broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Do you have a broken heart in here tonight? And I don't mean like somebody dumped you and you're just upset about I mean a broken heart over who you are in the face of our perfect Savior. That's who God came to save. Physician didn't come to save the righteous that think that they're all they got... They're the cat's meow or they got everything in, in line. He came to save the sick. He saves those that are of a broken spirit. God can't do anything with anybody who's not willing to break their heart first and say, God, I'm a mess. And humble themselves. Do you feel far from the Lord tonight? Because it says he's nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. If you feel far from the Lord, check your heart. Who's got your heart? Wherever your heart is, that's who you're going to be closest to. All right, I'm going to turn there, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. You have a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You need to humble yourself. Humility is really the foundation of this. Key, when you live with pure motives, you will have the same priorities as your heavenly father. You naturally will. I already hit on this, fear of the Lord. You fear God more than anything else, which in turn causes you to only care about how he feels about fill in the blank. It's really what it boils down to. I've had to reconcile that with a lot of things in my life. Career aspirations. I've had some difficult conversations with my boss. Some of the things he just can't compute because he's a go, go, go and moving up the ladder. I'm like, I'm not about that. I want to I be a good worker here. I want to I wanna serve you well. I want to bring a good name because I still represent Jesus Christ in that workplace. But I'm like, I'm not about this. I'm not about trying to climb up the corporate ladder. I'm about trying to be a great testimony here and do my work until God calls me to something else. What do you care about? Who do you care about feels when you do fill in the blank? You care about how it makes you feel? You care about how it makes us leaders feel? If you care about how God feels, the rest of that falls into place. 
And if it's off balance or someone feels upset about it, when you're focused on God, you, don't, you shouldn't really care about what they feel anyway. I'll tell you, that's a good filtration system. When you're doing things to please the Lord, God will sift out friends that you don't need and he'll bring in friends that you have longed for. That's the testimony of all of my relationships. I mean, everybody that I'm friends with now, but outside of my wife, I mean, we became friends after high school. It was, it's all friends through Jesus Christ. Had I not come to this church, I would have one friend, my brother. <laughs> I, God has miraculously placed everybody in, in my life. Because of decisions that I've made, he has taken care of me. Let God take care of you. Fear God more than anything else. Flip over to Second Chronicles and we're going to end there. Second Chronicles 29. It is on your sheet, right? Yeah. I know you guys see the closing section, but we'll breeze through that. Second Chronicles 29. I could remember where Second Chronicles was in my Bible. I know that's pretty bad. I got to Ezra and I started going right. Yeah, Second Corinthians. All right, Second Chronicles twenty-nine. We're gonna do a quick little dive into Hezekiah and his entrance as king. Can someone tell me a little bit about Hezekiah? Who was his dad? Who was Hezekiah's papa? It was not David, no. It's Ahaz. Somebody tell me about Ahaz. Well, never mind. I don't if you guys didn't know it was his dad then. Evil guy, evil king. Hezekiah comes in and he's faced with just garbage. In the nation that God had promised to bless, that God wants to proclaim his name to the world. Look at verse 3. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. They were broken. And he brought in priests, and he brought in the priests and the Levites, and gathered them together in the east street, and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. His first part, his hard attitude, he was truly repentant for the, for the decisions that were made prior to him. He comes into a situation, a legacy left by his father, and you know what? He doesn't care about anything else except what God wants. A lot of times we can step into situations and we're too concerned with what people around us are looking at. He steps in, he does the right thing immediately. He's truly repentant. And then look down at verse 10. Now it is mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand out before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. His heart has purpose and vision. And again, this is a rapid-fire view with this. I encourage you to read you know, all of chapter 29 and then even into 31. But he comes in, he recognizes filthiness, he calls sin, sin. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't uh, try and sugarcoat it. He says, get the filthiness out of here. We need to establish this. We need to establish the house of the Lord again. We need to repair the doors. We need to turn the light back on. We need to go in and we need to restore order to what was ruined prior. He obviously doesn't care about what his family thinks. He obviously doesn't care about what the people think. He says, you're either in or you're out. Get in and let's do the work. Single mind, singleness of heart. 
A lot of us would be easy to fold in this situation. You guys are faced with this situation every single day. Practically. We walk into this world and it is filthiness. How do you handle it? Does this world and your reputation have your heart? Or does God have your heart? Do you call sin, sin? You don't care what other people think. You go in and you call it what it is. Not in an arrogant way. It's not how Jesus Christ did it. Jesus Christ came in love. You're still trying to win people to Jesus Christ. It's not about telling people that what they're doing is wrong and you know what the Bible says. So It's about going in, calling it what it is, and giving them the hope, giving them the answer, and praying for them. His priorities, repair God's house, restore the priesthood, sanctify yourselves to remove the filth and the idols out of your life. It needs to be our heart, especially right now. If God's house, the temple that's inside of you right now, you need to repair it. Restore the priesthood. Put God back on the throne in your heart. Call him back in. Give him control. Give him the reins of your heart. Sanctify yourself. Be different. And then remove the filth and the idols. Remove anything else that has your heart. Get it out. And give God your heart 100%. So in closing... The true measure of your heart is how much of God's word you're hiding in it. Proverbs 3.1, My son, forget, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. This book is going to be the difference maker. Anybody know Psalm 119.11? Hide <laughs> God's word in your heart. You want this heart to be in subjection unto God? Put God's word in it. You're going to have zero luck giving this heart over to God if you're not putting his word in it. Remember how we looked at, we talked about the the eyes are the light of the body. They let things in. If you're not putting God's word in your heart, you're putting this world in your heart. Combat it. Fight it. Forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. So ask yourself, what is your heart attitude towards the Bible? Job 23.12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I love that verse. And I've said this before. If you go without reading God's word for a day, for two days, for a week, do you feel just as starving spiritually as if you went without physical food for a day, two days, a week? If you're not, something's wrong inside. And you need to take that to God. You esteem God's word higher than your necessary food. Jeremiah 15, 16 says that he ate his words. He needed them. Do you view God's word as something that you need? If you do, God's got your heart. And he's convicting your heart of, look, you want, to keep, you want me to keep your heart? Keep filling it with my word. Keep giving him control. Keep giving him the reins. That's how you give God the reins of your heart, is by reading this book. Every day, God, show me something new. Reveal something in my life that I need to change. Reveal something in my life that I need to do. You go to this book with an open heart, and you'll see things that theologians, scholars could only dream of. They're looking at it with a surface level. They're looking at it with 2D glasses. You're looking at it 3D. You're seeing how God applies this book to your life right now. It's a living book. Let God do his work with his word inside of your heart. When you allow that, then you will find yourself having pure motives. You'll find yourself being motivated completely different in the decisions that you make, thinking through things differently. You'll stand out, and you will have a much more fulfilling life because of it. All right, let's pray.
Father, this can be a tough subject to touch on. I know in my life, Lord, and just even thinking about as I'm asking these students to think back on their day, I'm thinking back on mine. And just some of the selfish decisions, Father. Uh, time wasted at work when I should have been uh, a little more diligent. Or my mind is wandering when I should have been thinking about having a conversation with uh, someone I work with. Father, there's, uh, Father, we're just a mess. And we need you. We need to humble ourselves. We need to have a broken heart. God, I thank you that you still love us despite our deficiencies because, Father, there's many of them. Uh, Father, please fill that gap. Bridge that gap. Father, I pray that everyone in here, that they would have broken hearts, that they would recognize themselves, Lord, as lost sinners without you. And I thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross. You gave us hope. Father, we owe you everything, and that's even our motivation. I pray that everything we do, Lord, that we would do with a heart that's motivated by your love, that's motivated for you. And Father, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know your son, that doesn't know who you are, I pray that they would reconcile that tonight. That if they're looking around, seeing people around them, and they're like, what is going on? Father, it's not us. It's not us leaders. It's not even our pastors, Father. It's you. It's what you did. You sent your son to pay the payment for our sins. I pray that they would think on that, Father. And if they haven't, they would make a decision to put their faith and trust in your son as their Lord and Savior. So, Father, again, I thank you just for your love, especially when we don't deserve it. I pray for this church. I pray for your hand over this ministry, Father, that it would bear much fruit that we'd be changed people as we walk out of here tonight. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.